0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this
1: message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message.
0: Morning, church. My name's Jerry. Um, I happen to be one of the youth leaders here in this church. But that wasn't always the case. Um, this is my story. Um, growing up, um, I had a great family. Um, travelled around a bit. We lived in England, then we moved over to Ireland, and we travelled. We were living in, um, sorry, my apologies, Kildare. Then we lived in a bit in Wexford, and now I'm living in Cork. And growing up, I had a great family, and I do a great family. Always worked hard to provide for me, my brothers, and my sister. But um, when, I was, when I was 12, I began to get really... Um, really difficult uh, problems with my hearing. So I began to get a number of tests, a couple of operations, and lo and behold, I have a a bit of a a bad condition in my left ear, which has caused my hearing to drop down more than 90%. And I got a hearing aid, and growing up in school, um, because of my hearing aid, it kind of stood out like a sore thumb. I used to get bullied, but I didn't get bullied by students, I got bullied by teachers. During roll call, it wasn't just, you know, you called a roll call, Sean, James, it was, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. And I remember like so vividly in my mind being so deeply affected by just the, the, the absolute um, torture that I felt for me to have a teacher who was trying to teach me, just manipulating me and taking advantage of my disability. And it affected me so badly. So what I'd done was, unfortunately, I tried to get a group of people, a group of friends, and you know, I was, I was, I was wearing so many different masks one day I was wearing the mask where I was going to be the teacher's pet. The next day I would wear a mask where I was everyone's enemy. The following day I would wear a mask where everyone liked me and I was the funny guy, I was the class clown and everything else like that. But um, what happens is when you're wearing masks, you're not really being true to yourself. Do you know. And I had a group of friends, right? I had a, a small group of friends because I don't have enough time to maintain all the friendships and that's just the reality. right? But what happened, with, I had four friends, five friends to be exact, that I used to hang on with all the time. But as I was going through school, um, unfortunately, one by one, they unfortunately began to commit suicide one by one over the course of five years. So my friend circle that went from five quickly went down to one. And I remember thinking of it when these guys unfortunately committed suicide. It deeply affected me. It destroyed me emotionally. Um, I, I was bad enough, even so crippled with anxiety, crippled with fear, insecurity, that I couldn't even be honest about where I was at myself. You know, as a guide, there's this, this weird idea that you have to be strong, you have to have it all together, and the truth was I never did, and I never can, and I never will. Um, and what happened was, as I was going through school, you know, I was dealing with the loss of my friends and that, um, I began to discover, um, in English class, was my favourite subject in school, and I began to fall in love with poetry. Maybe to you, you probably don't know what poetry is. It's, it's basically poems. It's it's a story or a statement or a theme being addressed in a in a poem, in in a poetic form, using different terms and punchlines and stuff. And I remember just being so like, just st- astonished, basically, about how these poets could express themselves so well, and yet I was crumbling under the pressure to just like try to explain how I was feeling and I couldn't do it but I remember just experimenting with poems and poetry and creative writing and it really began to help me in in a temporary way you know I was writing poems I was beginning to be able to express myself but as I was expressing myself it wasn't taking away the deep pain and the deep scars that I had inside me and during this time my brother um, he went into a treatment center right to get clean from from his past life of addiction and stuff right and I remember um, there was an app back then called Viber, right? Viber is a purple app, right? And you could text and video call. And I remember he used to be telling me about this guy, Jesus, right? And he talked about Jesus like as someone who was as real as I am. And I'll be honest with you, I felt sorry for Jesus because anytime I went into a church, he was hanging above on the cross and he had a bit of blood in his hands and his feet and he just, he just looked very pale. He looked like a scrawny man and I, I felt very sorry for him. I didn't know about the depths that he went to redeem both me and you back from the curse of sin in this world. And he used to tell me about, how Jesus can give you a hope. And I'm thinking, if he doesn't shut up, I'm going to send him to meet Jesus. Like, he kept telling me about, like, what Jesus could do for me and and how he could give me a confidence and how my brother knew I was so insecure. I was afraid to be myself, so I was trying to be everyone else and acceptance and stuff. And it's amazing how there was another instance where the Lord really began to, to... speak to me and i was watching a a youtube video one day by a rapper called eminem wouldn't recommend you listen to him um but in as i was watching this video on youtube there's a tab called the related video section or they recommend another video based on what you're currently watching and there was this rapper called lecrae right if you don't know who lecrae is he just happens to be the biggest christian rapper in the world and he had a song called don't waste your life right And I remember, I clicked into it at the time. I didn't know he was a Christian rapper. I thought, don't waste your life. Oh, it's a nice mantra. Let's listen to it. Maybe I'll listen to it a bit more. And I remember listening to it. I remember where I was. I was playing the Xbox at the time. It was lashing rain outside. I don't know why I remember it, but I do. But as I was listening to this song, I got so frustrated. Because this man was a Christian who, who had a confidence in God, and he began to speak about the gospel, about hope, about living for Jesus, about being forgiven of your sin. And I was thinking, this guy is off his head. I remember being so annoyed, and I was thinking, oh, my brother probably set me up, you know, to, he was going to share the gospel, then he was going to send a prayer text to send me the video and watch it. And, and I just began to get so agitated. But lo and behold, I, I didn't pray or anything, I just was continuing on with my life, wearing masks, trying to please people. And during that time, I slipped into a pornography addiction, right? But over the next two or three years, the Lord really began to just chip away at me. Um, and I can't explain it to people. There was, there was instances in my life where he was just dropping just little reminders of who he was. And I never told anyone because I thought maybe I was just, my, my, my mental health was playing games on me or something like that, right? But I remember um, my brother came home one weekend and my mom went to a Christian church in Wexford, Wexford Christian Community Church. And he had to attend a Sunday service because he was home from treatment center. He was in a Bible treatment program. And I went one week and I was like, I'm just going to go and just show my brother some support or, or something along those lines. And I really liked it. Um, there was a song that the worship team were singing. It was um, Carrie Job," uh, the Revelation song. And I remember, I didn't tell anyone because I was sitting at the back, but I remember during the course of that song, I started crying. Like, it wasn't that the worship leader was singing on a certain note, but it was that the lyrics were, were piercing through the barriers and the walls that I had put up in my own heart. And lo and behold, I got I got invited to um, a, a youth weekend with a, a youth group in our church. The youth pastor was having a youth weekend in his house, and I was like, I I've got nothing else to do. It's the midterm break. I may as well go. Um... I went to his house, you know, we're chilling out over the weekend, and we were just having Bible studies, and um, going to the beach, playing sports, and just having conversation with people. It wasn't like they were trying to be super religious. They were just being naturally filled with Jesus, and they were. I was having conversations with him, trying to catch them out, trying to catch who's the hypocrite in this group, and mm, he said something there, but he said something there then, and, and I remember it was a Saturday night, um, and I was going to bed. I was staying in one of the lads' rooms, and... I remember just thinking to myself, the biggest hypocrite in the whole world is the guy that looks back at me every day in the mirror. Um, And when I got up in the morning, I went to church because we were going back to church on the Sunday morning, and there was an American preacher. I can't remember his name exactly, but um, I remember the date. It was Sunday, the 8th of July, 2012. And I remember it was about 1 o'clock. He was preaching a message on treasure in clay jars, and he just powerfully shared the gospel. And all I can say is, I've never been so undone in all my life by the power of the gospel. He talked about how the Lord could, could heal my heart and heart, could, could save me from the sin and give me eternal life. But not only give me eternal life, give me things that I never had, like a hope, a confidence, a purpose. Uh, live with just such a, an enjoyment, enjoy life with Jesus And I remember at the end of the sermon, I went up to him, and the church was out. Most of the people were after leaving at the time, but I'd waited till everyone was gone because I was embarrassed to go up to him. And I just said to him, "Look, um, I'm gonna be real with you. um, It was almost like you were speaking to me, and I was the only person in the room. And I presume I'm supposed to like take a step now and like ask Jesus to be my buddy or something like that." I said, "I don't really know how this works." And he walked me through the Sinner's Prayer, and he walked me through what it was to be a Christian. And I'll tell you one thing, right? It was lashing rain outside. I mean, it was like the Amazon flood season. The heavens had opened. There was the, the whole earth was getting watered at this point, right? And as, as he prayed with me, you know, and I, I confessed my sins to Jesus, and I asked him to come in and make me a newborn creation, and he did, praise God. But at the end of that prayer, as I was walking away, it's weird because the sun just came out, and I mean, there was such, like, It went from lashing rain to sun in a split second. And it reminded me that even on the darkest days, the sun still shines for me. And I'm not talking about the sunshine in the sky. I'm talking about Jesus. Um, And I got saved. And I'll tell you, when I went back to school, and my sister will tell you this, so beforehand I was the class clown, class fool, the idiot, the guy who hurt people and was just so insecure and all that. And I, I found strength from pulling people down... But God had done such a phenomenal work in my heart that when I went back into school, I was able to love people and not expect it in return. I was able to forgive teachers who had publicly embarrassed me in front of my classmates. I walked different. I walked with a Conor McGregor confidence. And I'm not talking about the arrogance. I'm talking about a confidence in the work of Jesus. Hope had exploded in my life in a powerful way. And I'm telling you, for you, maybe you're watching this and maybe you're on the fence, or maybe you're not sure um, what this whole thing is about. Let me remind you, there's a verse in John 14:6, and it simply says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Life is not about your possessions. And I think we all know that right now. If you're living right now, you know that things are crumbling right now. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive you of your sin, make you a newborn creation, Give you hope. And listen, I'm not talking about the 202 bus arriving on time or, or maybe you might be able to go on that holiday next month. I'm talking about a hope and a confidence in the work of Jesus that you will never have to face another storm in your life again on your own because of the work of Jesus. He is my best friend. And if that sounds weird, good, because it's true. And I want to close. I want to just share you guys. Um, so I'm a spoken word artist, as I've shared about uh, uh, creative writing. And I want to encourage you with a spoken word as a close when you think of the cross that was covered in blood what comes to your mind what are you thinking of? you see, because I'm talking about the cross where my savior died he had the very cross at Calvary that had him crucified you know, the Roman soldiers they took the nails and into Jesus' wrists they hammered them in he died for us, but he knew no sin see, he became sin and on the cross, he took our place. What a description of his love, mercy, and grace. See, because it's foolishness to you if you're the perishing type. I'm only boasting the cross, so forget the hype. See, because sometimes life seems so overwhelming. Yet the dreams that we have need nothing but shelving. Things get on top of us, and they wear us out. Leaving room in our mind to think question and doubt see the devil comes along with his crazy accusation saying you don't deserve this great salvation although it may be true there's nothing that we can do but the lord's love and grace is there to bring us through see he guides he directs and he leads us in all truth the sacrifice of his son was more than enough proof yeah i get it i get it the struggle is real right so what's the antidote it ain't a drink, it ain't a dope, it ain't a gun, it ain't a rope. It's actually Christ, the one who rose. The risen Christ will always be our only hope. Thank you very much. God, We thank God for what he's done, amen.
2: So right now I have the distinct privilege of inviting up Anne Cassidy. To the pulpit, And as she comes up and gets ready, I just want to say that I think everybody in Cork Church thanks God for Anne. And I just want to say to Anne, your love and your influence and your prayers, we have felt them time and time again. Me and my family, and I know I'm speaking as one of, of I'd say, every family in Cork Church that you've prayed for. You're a mother to me. You're a spiritual mother to me, like so many of us. I can't wait to hear what God is going to say through you. Every time you speak, I'm blessed. So I have the the privilege of of giving you this microphone right now. And we're looking forward to it. God bless you. Thank you,
1: Patrick. No problem. We'll get that off. Thank you, Patrick. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Well, I must say it's an honor to be here. And it's an honor to be able to give my testimony, how Jesus Christ saved my soul. And I must say, Jerry, that testimony... It was absolutely wonderful. Oh, my goodness, when I see what God has done in your life, you're just a young man. I'm an older woman, but to see God touching young lives, young hearts and changing them and following Jesus, absolutely beautiful. But there was a line of that wonderful worship song a while ago, and it says, there is no other name. There is no other name, the name of Jesus. And so my story, I'm going to give a little backdrop of my life. So, uh, there was a boy who lived around the corner from my house, and his name was Nicky Cassidy. And I fell in love with Nicky Cassidy. And we were very, very young. I mean, we were extremely young. I won't tell you the age, because I think you'd be more centered on that than anything else. But we were very, very young, and we married each other. And there was a love there. I mean, it was a love There was plenty of romance, but even as young as we were, there was a love there. And, you know, was there in many moments of intense fellowship? Yes, there was loads of intense times, but there was a love, there was kindness, and there was forgiveness. And, you know, that's what held our marriage together. Young as we were, that marriage went on for 54 years. And, you know, as when Christ came into our life, He cemented that marriage. You couldn't touch that marriage; it was beautiful. And as we grew older, we grew older as the deepest and the closest of friends. Now, um, Nick went to be with Christ five, nearly five years ago now, and I must say, I think I don't think there is a human pain that can compare with the pain of that. But you know, the God of all comfort—my goodness. It was there. He was there and he comforted me. Now, we had 10 children and the comfort of my children around me and the comfort they gave to their dads, their dad in the last months and hours of his life was beautiful. The comfort of the children, the comfort of the pastors here in the church, the comfort of the church family. Oh my goodness. When everybody was gone, there was a the comfort of God. And I praise God for that. So, you know, God is there on every occasion of our life. So anyway, I had a wonderful mom and a wonderful dad, wonderful sisters and brothers. Now, I didn't know my dad because my dad died when I was between two and three. But I had a wonderful mom. And she was a wonderful mom. And I have wonderful sisters and brothers. I have two sisters and their daughters. are mad about them. So anyway, so that's the backdrop of my story. So my story is very interlinked with um, my husband's testimony. So so I'm going to pick it up when I was 30 years of age. Nick was 32. We had already just sold a pub in Middleton and we bought a lovely house in Douglas and we were mortgage-free, we we were debt-free. He was a wonderful man to work. He was an intelligent man, he was a clever man. So here we are at the age of 30 and 32 with a beautiful house and we were mortgage-free. And then Nick started off a business on his own in the confectionery business, um, selling from his van, actually, sweets and chocolates, etc. So life was very, very good. I wasn't particularly looking for Christ. Neither was Nick. We had a little bit of religion, and that was okay. Just a little bit of it was fine. So we packed in an awful lot of life in those years. And so now we're hearing that my brother Aidan is coming home from Australia. So Aidan is coming home. So we were—we had a huge social life. So we were going to have a party, a homecoming party. And we were going to party for the whole month. And we knew how to party. So we were going to have sing songs and plenty of booze and where, all that goes with it. And so the first night of the first party, my goodness, you it was the night that was going to change my life forever. Little did I know. So anyway, so we had... You know, people were coming in, neighbours and friends, and welcome him home. And we were all in the dining area. The house was packed, and plenty of food, and there's plenty of booze and happy clappy. And and so um, my brother and his wife, you know, they were. He's played guitar and she was singing. And they sang in lots of venues. And so now we're all sing-songing and we're all standing around looking at him. We're saying, "Come on, Aiden, pick up your guitar and we'll sing all the old songs." And he said, you know, he said, "Uh, you know, he said, I don't really sing those songs anymore. You know, you know, God has changed my life. And all of a sudden, everybody that was in that room moved into the other room. And all the happy, clappy singing song, he went on. And all who was left standing next to him was myself and my mother. And it was kind of like, you know. So anyway, but in the course of the night. Now, I have to say, and I don't like singing, but I quite a lot of booze inside me. So I walked up the stairs to the bathroom, and on my way up the stairs, he was standing just inside the hall door, my brother Aidan. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, "Anne," he said, do you know that Jesus loves you? Well, listen, I knew that I knew that I knew. For the first time in my life, I knew that Jesus Christ loved me not because it was my brother i hadn't seen him for years we weren't particularly close but all of god came into those words i didn't even i couldn't even say that at the time but i knew something of god had gone in here and rested in here i was loved by jesus christ and i went to the bathroom I'm coming down the stairs and i'm thinking it and i'm thinking to myself i i really I, i just don't like this anymore I don't like this anymore. And um, so I went down and party came to an end and went home, woke up in the morning. And my goodness, it was as fresh as I heard of the night before. I woke up and I felt, I felt important to God. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't put it all together but I had a kind of clean feeling about me and so I put all my children in the car I drove them to school I drove over to my brother and you must remember going back this is over 40 years ago and you know you don't you don't we didn't talk in tender tones about Jesus like we do now so um so I went to my brother and I said you know you know what you told me last night you told me that Jesus loved me and could you tell me a little bit more so he took out his Bible and, and he read some passages. But I was looking at him and he spoke with such a, there was a humility in him. And there was such a tenderness as he spoke from the word of God. And I think I was more looking at him than I was what he was saying. And I don't remember what he said, but everything he said, I loved it. It was just so lovely. So anyway, we met up with him many times when he was home himself and his wife. And he told, told us how he got saved in Australia, how God changed his life and, uh, and uh, all these wonderful things that God had done in him. And he was so changed. And so he was telling us that over the course of time when he was home. And um, before he left, um, he did say, he said, you know, I think you should uh, get a Bible. So I asked my husband, to, would he get me a Bible, and he 's no problem, yes, so anyway, so I got the Bible, and I was looking at the thickness of the Bible, and I was saying, "Do I need to read all that to know God and so it was huge to me so um, so you must remember, day by day, life is going on at that time, there were seven children, there were three more to come, so as day by day life was going on cooking cleaning washing earning no I never liked earning but anyway all that was going on Uh, and so in between I would pick up the Bible and I don't know why but I I think I learned in school the gospel of Matthew Mark Luke and John and I opened up the gospel of Matthew and my goodness tonight so I'm looking down at it and I'm really looking at it and is talking about the genealogy of Christ and I I'm coming down. I'm the son of sons, and the son. Of, I'm saying, "Oh my goodness!" I said, "How am I going to know God?" I said, "You need to be a theologian to understand that." I was getting so frustrated, but I kept looking down, and then it comes into the nativity. So we all know about the nativity. We all know that Jesus was born from Mary. But my eyes centered on one thing again, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And I'm looking at this. So right through as I'm reading, I didn't understand lots of things. But I kept my eye focused on Jesus. Jesus was my focus. And as I'm watching him, so you must remember right through. In between children and giving birth and business and everything else. I'm looking at the word, the name of Jesus. So anyway, I'm looking at Jesus. And I see him, and he is, he's is working miracles. He's going from town to town. He's teaching people how to live. He's telling them the good news. And I still can't connect. I can't connect, but I'm watching him. And then I see him. My goodness, tonight, I see him. There was a woman, and she was bent over in two. And he just goes to her. She, never, she couldn't look up and see the, the sky. She was totally like this. And he goes so tenderly to her, and he touches her. And he makes her whole. And I'm saying, what a lovely God. And then I see him then. And then I'm looking at this and something so different that I've ever known. There was a man. And he lived among the tombs. He was a homeless man. And he lived among the tombs. And he was full of his demons and he was running to and fro, screeching, cutting himself. And sometimes the people would capture him, put chains on him. And he'd break the chains and he was cutting himself. And I was saying, goodness, the poor man, I tormented with his demons. And then Jesus comes on the scene and then Jesus touches this man delivers him from all his demons puts him into his right mind and he wants to follow Jesus but Jesus says go go, go home he says and, and show your people what God has done for you and I'm just oh my goodness all I'm thinking to myself I want that touch in my life oh my goodness how am I going to connect with Jesus I still couldn't connect with him I didn't hadn't yet given my heart to Christ and then I'm looking at him and he's moved on and I see him going along there's a woman in her Her son had died, her only son. She was a widow and Jesus full of compassion. He was overflowing with compassion. He went over and he touched that young boy and he gave that boy back to his mother and I thought I could see the compassion and the love of Jesus. I'm so focused on Jesus. We had such a circle of friends and I used to look at them all and I used to say, There's nobody like Jesus. There is nobody like this Jesus. And I kept my eyes focused upon him. And I'm watching him. And I'm coming across all the different miracles. And now I see him. Now I see him. And there, he's Jarius. He was, I think, a ruler in the synagogue. And he comes and he says to Jesus, my daughter's on the brink of death. Will you come and touch her? And just at that time, oh my goodness, this... Just Jesus was about to go. But there was a woman who had an issue of blood. And she bled for four, uh, t- 12 years. And I was thinking about her. I was thinking what an awful mess her life was in. Her physical life must have been absolutely awful to bleed for all those years. And all she's saying, and I'm watching her, and all she's saying is if I can only touch the hem of his garment. And I was saying to myself, If she can touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she's convinced she will be healed. And I was thinking, but how can I touch? How can I touch the hem of his garment? I so wanted to touch the hem of his garment. I still couldn't connect. And I wanted to touch the hem of his garment. And she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus Christ healed her. And she perceived in her body that she was healed. And then Jesus is going on with Jarius to his house. And they're telling Jairus on the way, don't trouble the master anymore. You know, your, your little girl is dead now. She was 12 years old. Their only child, their only daughter. And I'm just looking. I'm focused on Jesus all the time. And he goes in there into that little girl's room with the mom and dad and some disciples. And he looks at her and he says, little girl, he said, Arise. And I thought this was beautiful. And he handed that little girl to her mom and to her dad. And he says, give her something to eat. While well, he was pulling at my heartstrings now because I was so centered on him and I still hadn't connected. And then I have to go on to this part because now the storyline totally changes. Now Jesus Christ is in his sufferings. And you must remember, I'm still focused on him. I'm still looking at him. Life is still going on day by day. And I'm looking at Jesus and the storyline is changing. And here he is now. And he's in his sufferings. Now he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Now he's beginning to be in agony. Because now the blood, the sweat that fell from his body were like great drops of blood on the ground. And he's crying out, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And I'm still focused upon Jesus. And I'm thinking, my goodness. I was thinking, why? I didn't know why. Because I always rationalized my sins away. I always did. I always had an excuse for my sin. And I still couldn't see why. And I'm looking at him. And, I'm, and then I see Judas coming. And betrayed him with a kiss. And then I see him being taken away to the praetorium. And now I see him, and he is absolutely... They've stripped him naked. They're now brutalizing him. He's at the whipping post. They are just with their cat and nine tails, and they're stripping the flesh off, off of Jesus. And I'm still focused on him. And I'm just saying, why? He didn't do any harm to anybody. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And I'm still looking at him, and I'm saying, but why? Why are they doing this? I was thinking of the spits on his face how disgusting. They were mocking him. They, they pulled at his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And I, they weren't thorns that you go picking blackberries and you get one in your finger. And you're going, Mm-mm. no, they were thorns. They were thorns. And they placed them on his head and they were ridiculing him. And then that flesh was being torn off his body. And all I could see was a bloody mass. The blood that must have poured out of the body of Jesus Christ was mega I could see him I could see him in my mind's eye and all I could see was blood poured from the top of his head all the way down he was ridiculed they were barbarous towards him and then I'm flipping over the pages flicking over the pages and now I see him I'm still focused on him and I keep on saying why, why are they doing this and then I see him and he's being nailed to the cross so I still couldn't connect I didn't know how to connect I didn't and then I'll always remember Jesus said a few things on the cross but he did say something he said Father forgive them for they know not what they do and I'm still looking at him and it was like he said Father forgive Anne because she doesn't know what she's doing and it was at that time that's the time that it hit me absolutely hit me. Jesus Christ died for my sin. Jesus Christ died for your sin. And I'm looking at him. And I'm looking at him. the righteous God is now dying for the unrighteous sinner to reconcile me to my heavenly father. I'm telling you, what a revelation. He changed my life. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at him. And I'm saying, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. For my sins. I was so sorry. I said I'm so sorry for my sins. I said God forgive me. And I didn't want him out there anymore. I'm connecting now with him. And I said oh God come in. In. Come right in here. Come in Lord. I don't ever want you to leave again. Come in. And he changed my life. Beautifully. But I have to backtrack a little. Because you must remember. As I said life is still going on. And my husband you know, he wasn't really taking very much. He was a little bit this and a little bit that. And he came home one day from work, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, he said, you're after changing so much. He said, you're so different. He said, he said is, is that the Bible you're reading? And, uh, well, I said, I don't know when. He said, but you are, you're so different. He said, are you going to become a nun? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not going to become a nun. And I can actually tell you, he went like this, phew, Because there were still three more children to come. So I think he was very happy knowing that I wasn't going to become a nun. So he said to me, he said, look, he said, show me that Bible and I'm going to prove you wrong. I don't know what he was going to prove me wrong with. That's all I know. I had a revelation of Jesus Christ and I wasn't going to let that go. So my husband is very, he was quick. He was quick thinking. And he read the word that night. And I'll always remember him turning to me. And he said, you know what? He said, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. And he said, I always knew I was a sinner. He said, I always knew it. I I rationalized mine away. He said, I always knew I was, he said. And he said, I'm just after asking God to forgive me my sin. So now we're on the same page together. Now we were reading the word of God together. Now we were praying together. So we were reading about John the Baptist baptizing people. So he said, come on, he said, Says he come on, we're going on, I baptize you, you baptize me. And we went down to the beach, down to Ring Strand, and he baptized me in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. I baptized him, and I promise you, it was like all of heaven came down. There was a stillness, there was a brightness. I, I think if I could actually see with my spiritual eyes, I think there were angels all around. It was beautiful for a moment of time. All heaven was there. So we journeyed on together. Every night we pray for our children. God would save them. And God has touched all of our children's lives. And you know, he has started a work in their lives. And I know God has given me a promise. He will, He will fulfill that. God will draw them all. God will, what he started, he will finish in their lives. And so we were very radical. I mean, we were. The party life fell away like a dirty old rag and all that just fell away And we were radical. We were on the streets of Cork. We had now found a little fellowship by then, just a tiny group of people. We were on the streets of Cork handing out leaflets. We were down in Fermoy, telling people about Jesus. We were down in Bantry. We were down in Killarney at every fair there was. We were there, and here we are with a microphone, and we're telling you about Jesus loves you, Jesus cares, Jesus will forgive you. We were radical, and it was good. And you know something, we didn't just live for ourselves and hold that good news in. We shared it with everybody. Nick shared it before he died up in that hospital. There wasn't a doctor or a nurse or a patient that he didn't share the gospel with. I saw Nick in so much pain. And every time I went in, he was talking about Jesus. He was telling everybody about Jesus. And I'm the same. Oh, my goodness. Every opportunity, I would tell people about Jesus because the price is paid. And, you know, can I just share one thing? Because, you know, before we got saved, you know, in our big circle of friends, the discussion was uh, sometimes religion and politics. Mary, where are you going? We're going. Ah, sure, I'm going down. John, I'm going down too. We're going to have a hoolie down there. We're going to be pointing away and singing away down there with the devil. How foolish. What nonsense. My goodness, there is a devil, and there is a hell, and it's very, very real. And the worm never dies, and the fire never goes out, and there's a burning for everlasting. But there's a heaven. There's a heaven. And God has prepared a place in his heaven for you, for me. And my goodness, he's paid the price. And all he's requiring is that don't rationalize your sin. You come. Jesus, don't doll yourself up. Don't say, oh, I'm too sinful. I'm too this, do that. Just come. Just come as you are. Just come as you are. If you're sitting down, standing, just come and say, Jesus, oh, God. God, I am a sinner. Jesus, forgive me. Please, Lord, please come in, Lord. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I'm telling you, Jesus, he said, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. He will never turn you away. If you're broken in your sin, if you're maybe you're very well off and you're doing well, you don't have any worries or troubles, but you know something, you still need Jesus and he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you and there's a heaven for you. So I pray this morning that my testimony will touch your hearts and bless you because it's 42 years, I think, and he has never left me nor forsaken me and someday soon, I'm going to be with Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. Absent from this body, home of the Lord. I'll see Jesus face to face. I will live in the glories of heaven. And that's where my darling is at the moment. And I'll see him again. And let me say this, because I love this. It comforts me. Where my husband is, you know, there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more suffering over there. He's in the presence in the glory of Almighty God, and that is heaven. So I thank God this morning. Thank you for listening. May God bless you today. Amen.
2: Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. That's my mother you just heard this morning. And uh, I was meant to preach now, but I, I think that the Lord has already spoken to us through these amazing testimonies. And we're going to bring our service to a close very shortly, not because we're even out of time, I think everything that needed to be said is said. This is my story is a special morning for Cork Church because we deliberately moved from our normal format to present Christ on the airwaves to anyone that's looking for life and hope. And you heard messages this morning from real people. I'm here because I saw the amazing change in my mom and my dad. Not that they were bad people in the sense of we did come from a fantastic home, But when Christ came in, something supernatural happened, and it affected my life. Um, I'll never again be the same because the way the gospel landed and was received into our home. And if you receive the same gospel, if you receive the good news of Christ into your home, into your life, it will begin to change everything. Your life will not be the same again. All of a sudden, you're marked differently. You think differently. If any man is in Christ, the Bible says he's a new creation, all things pass away, all things become new. New spiritual life is is started in you. And like every new life, it has to grow and it will grow. And in time, it will grow to bear fruit and others will see the change in your life. But the peace that comes when you invite Jesus Christ in. You know, can I just recommend you today that you would open your Bible, that you would steal away from people around you and simply come to that place of engaging God the way my mother did and where Jerry did this morning in the spirit of honesty, because all God wants out of you is, is an honest response. He's already done, done all the work for you. Um, I was going to share a message about two other disciples of Jesus that were leaving three days after Jesus was crucified. or actually, I, I'll give you the background, they were leaving Jerusalem on a road to Emmaus. And um, they're very disillusioned. Jesus had been crucified, and, and they, they've heard rumors that he'd risen from the dead, but they're actually leaving Jerusalem. They're on their way to a town called Emmaus, obviously their home. And they're very sullen, they're very sad, they're very discouraged. And along that journey, Jesus meets them. And the Bible says that God kept them from knowing it was Jesus. So there's something supernatural about the encounter. They didn't recognize Jesus at that moment. God supernaturally kept Jesus' identity. But Jesus walked with them on that road. And they were very disappointed. They were really upset because they had a view of Jesus and the Messiah that he didn't match up to. You know, Jerry alluded in his testimony, you know, going into churches and seeing this very kind of pathetic figure, really, uh, uh, on a cross. Uh, you'd feel deeply sad for Jesus. When I was a Catholic, uh, young Catholic kid going into church, I felt very sad. I'd look up and I'd see the stations of the cross and I would see the whippings like my mom talked about the, the Roman Praetorium where they took him. And I'd feel immensely emotional, you know, very emotional for that. And, 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 but yet he looked pathetic to me, I didn't quite understand it. And these two disciples of Jesus, now there's obviously a wider group of disciples. There's 12 core group and there was wider disciples. These two are very disillusioned because they're telling Jesus along that journey, did you not hear the news in Jerusalem? There was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and we thought he was was the Messiah because he did signs and wonders, and we thought that he would deliver Israel. So they had a view of what the Messiah should look like, and he didn't live up to that view, and so they're very discouraged about that they're very broken about that and because they didn't realize and, and then Jesus walks with them. he's very sympathetic I won't go to reading we haven't the time this morning but he's walking that journey with them and they eventually get to Emmaus and Jesus is hinting that he's going to walk on to another town and they said why don't you stay tonight you know it's getting dark so he went in and stayed in the home with these two men and they're having food together and Jesus said do you not realize that the son of man had to suffer many things before he enters into his glory. And do you realize that the prophets wrote about that? I would have to suffer. And something began to click. A revelation began to extend into these two men. And then Jesus breaks bread the very same way as he did in the Passover. He just took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And at that moment, they must have seen the nail prints in his hands. They must have determined that something something happened at Calvary that they had escaped, because most people are disappointed with God today. Why doesn't God end world hunger? Why doesn't God end world suffering? Surely the Messiah would be able to deliver everybody, you know, and, and just come, and that was their view. He would come in and deliver a state, the state of Israel, end all oppression against the nation. And he didn't do it. And Jesus said, do you not understand? The issue is not the Romans. The issue is not the ecology of the world. The issue is not even suffering as you perceive it to be. The issue is inside in your life, there's a thing that is eating at the very core of your being. And it's the power of sin and darkness that every man and woman has burning inside them, tearing them apart. And God, Jesus came in to deal with that. Even though collective salvation is there, friends, it's it's about that individual that God is after. God loves this world, but he sees you as if you were an only child. And at that very moment, there was a revelation. Their eyes were opened that Jesus had to suffer. He had to pay for the offense of our sins, friends, that separated us from God. Our sin and evil. I, I, my mom was very yeah, nuanced in how she talked about the background because, you know, we're Irish Catholic background, alcohol and drinking and cursing and... The usual stuff that goes with as I said, explained away very easily, but that core is destroying us. There's no need for world hunger, friends. There's enough food to feed everybody. The problem is with us. There's no need for this cry for world peace, as if peace was some sort of airy, fairy thing. The problem is that we have no peace within. How can we ever have peace with our neighbor unless we have, first of all, peace within and peace with God? You know, our understanding that God would just come in and wave a wand and it'll all go away. Yes, he will, but he has to deal with you because he could fix everybody else. But if you're not fixed, then there's something in this world working against God and bringing about an evil in society. And so the gospel goes out to individuals and they had a revelation that Jesus had to die for the awfulness of their sins. And thank God he did because if he didn't die, they would have had to die that death for themselves. But he died for them and at that moment they realized that Christ had to enter into sufferings before the glory could come into our life. And so that is the gospel once again and I hope to God today that you understand that there'll be no peace until you're at peace with God. There will be no end to suffering until you first of all bow the knee to Christ because the issue is in you. There's a Hitler and the Mussolini and the Stalin in every one of us friends There's a drunk in every one of us. There's an abuser in every one of us. There's a violent person in every one of us. And God knows it. And he sends his Holy Spirit in to this world to convict you and to turn you to the cross of Jesus today. And if you would only but embrace him, what he did in Ann's life, what he did in Jerry's life, what he's done in mine and multi-millions of us around this world, he'll do in your life. This is our story. It's all about Christ. Open your heart to him today. Ask him to be Lord and Savior. Ask him to rescue you from sin. Ask him to forgive you your sin. Whatever the ones around you, it's not about the ones around you, it's about you now. When you die, you'll die account for your sin, not for your neighbor's sin. You'll account for your own life, not someone else's life. And so now salvation is individual. It's what will I do with Jesus? That was a question the Pilate asked. What will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Barabbas? They said, release Barabbas crucify Jesus. I pray today that you will say, Lord Jesus, I embrace you. Father, I pray right now, Lord, as we sing this last song, Lord God, together, that whoever's watching, Lord, who's ever heard your gospel today, most beautifully put by these wonderful men and women, this man and woman, Lord. And I pray, God, that you will so minister to their hearts, wherever they are on this planet, whatever small room they're in, wherever they're sitting today, Lord, that they would call upon the name of the Lord that they will literally call out for Jesus. As we've heard today, Lord, the one that can heal, forgive, and restore. And I praise you, Lord God, that you're doing it even now, Lord, as men and women are speaking to you. Your Holy Spirit is uplifting them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to sing one song together. Wherever you are, I'd like you to stand with us. If you have in your heart been touched by the message this morning, I believe you have been, you would like to reach out to us here at Cork Church, Uh, Even if you're not from Cork, reach out to us. We can put you in contact with a church in your location. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life. But we are here to help you to read the Bible, how to move in your Christian life, to have fellowship with other Christians, to hear the stories that are so similar. The one common theme that runs through all our lives is that a man called Jesus changed our lives forever. And so we would invite you just to reach out on the Cork Facebook page or on the YouTube channel. You can just send us uh, uh, messages. And we'll get back to you and we would love to welcome you into the worldwide body of Christ because it is a worldwide, invisible, magnificent body made up of 40 men and women that have met with a wonderful Savior. God bless you. To God be the glory. This is my story.